And it is without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn, and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For indeed it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of those people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests. But the word of oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Lord, we come to you in the name of our perfect high priest, our eternal high priest, our forever high priest, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we ask tonight that you would, as you are right now interceding for us, just like this text says, that part of your prayer, your intercession would be that we would be enlivened, that we would be enriched, that we would grow, that ultimately, and more importantly than anything else, that we would love you better and know you more when we leave here than we did when we came in. All for your glory and honor and praise, Jesus. We ask this in your name because you are our king. You are our savior you are our great high priest, and we trust you, and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Now, whether you like it or not, you are being represented, represented right now <laughs> in lots of different ways, right? I'm not always fond of the representatives that I have over me who go to Washington, D.C., or maybe even go to Sacramento, or maybe even from Chico go to Orville to represent me here. And sometimes I'm really happy with the people who are representing me in terms of they're saying this is what the people in my place that I am being sent out from want as far as law, as far as um, statute to be passed. But we are represented. As much as we want to say, some people would love to say, you see it all over, not so much quite anymore, but for a while there was the hip thing to say, well, Trump is not my president. Well, then you're not an American citizen. (laughs) 
Because if you're an American citizen, whether you like it or not, he is, in fact, our president. It doesn't matter what you think or how you feel. You are still represented by another. We understand that in our government. And hopefully we understand that as people. Because as much as we want to be rugged individualists, the truth of the matter is no one lives unto themselves. Even a hermit still is paying property taxes (laughs) somewhere to somebody. Even that guy goes to the grocery store and pays taxes on his. He is still being represented by others. Now this has always been the case from the beginning of time. In fact, it's how God instituted how we would live as people. In fact, look at Romans chapter 5 with me real real quick. Romans chapter 5. I'm going to begin in verse 12 and then read till I feel like I should stop reading. (laughs) Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay? That verse teaches us (laughs) that we have a representative. Every single person who lives, who breathes, who's been conceived has a representative, and it is Adam. The first man in the world. He came into the world and he, as he came into the world, was commanded, commissioned. God made a covenant with him. And I'll talk about covenant in a few minutes. Made a covenant with Abraham, Adam, that he should live a righteous and perfect life before him. With the only stipulation being, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam, of course, you know the story, went on over there and he partook and he brought all of mankind down with him. And here it says it, he brought death through sin and death spread to all men because all sinned. And we want to stop there and say, ha, wait a second. My name's not Adam. I wasn't even there. If I had been there, I would have done better. I got the smarts. I could have done that. Only how hard is it to just get out of the way, get away from that tree? But he found himself there and he brought us down. And, but it says here that all sinned. What does that mean? What could that possibly mean? Adam represented all people. He was, in fact, the best of all beings, Right? And we we talk about free will from time to time. If there was any person that ever truly had any kind of freedom of the will, it was Adam. Right? He was unstained by sin. He was a perfect being created perfectly by God with the propensity, with the bent for either good or for evil. Now, we don't have a whole lot written about him, so it's pointless to speculate what was that freedom like. But we know one thing for sure. It was wholly different than what we experience in our lives. Because in our lives, what we experience is we decide to do things, but it's always tainted by sin. 
And I, I like the saying, if sin were the color blue, everything you do would be some shade of blue. Maybe sometimes the lightest of light blues because it's, we're doing pretty good. Sometimes it's the deepest, darkest of blues that look black because it is that sinful and that bad. But everything we do has this shade of blue, sin in it in some way, shape, or form, and Adam didn't. So as much as we want to throw stones at Adam and say, how dare you do that? We have to acknowledge he was at least in a better position than we were to make this decision because he did not have a sin nature going into it. But he was our representative, meaning all of us come from him. We exist because he existed. We don't have existence if there isn't Adam. But there was an Adam and he sinned and therefore in his representation of all of us, meaning he is the great father of us all, the pederfamilias, if you will, he brought us all into sin. We were represented by him. Now, the Bible speaks of the need of another representative because this one brought us sin, brought us death. Verse 15 The free gift, it's not like the trespass. For many died through one man's trespass. How much more has the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many? The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for judgment followed the trespass, and that brought condemnation. No, 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 no. The free gift following many trespasses, instead it brings justification. If because of one man's trespass, one man's sin, death reigned through the one man, how much more, beloved, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? <clears throat> so as much as we maybe don't like the idea of original sin, the fact that we have a sin nature because Adam sinned, because he represented all people everywhere at all times, the good news is, is we have a representative who can, is willing, and capable of representing us before God in all righteousness, despite our sin. In fact, we are going to see here it's because of our sin. He's able to represent us as such. Because if we don't have sin, then we don't have a need for Jesus, do we? But we do have a need for Jesus. Now the contrast that's being made here in Hebrews is this. Is that what used to represent people was a high priesthood. A, 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 a very ritualistic tradition. A system of sacrifices that had been handed down for generations. Whereby if you send one of the big ones. Okay. 
Maybe not one of the little guys. You could do other things for the little guys. But one of the big ones, you had to come up and bring an animal. And the priest had to inspect that animal and scrutinize it and look for any type of blemish at all. And then if it was without blemish, you would place your hands on the head of that animal and confess your sins. And then that animal would have its throat slit and all of the blood drained out and it would be thrown up on the altar. It was a gory mess. I mean, even talking about it, I'm kind of like, is it really? Yeah, I guess it was. But the point that God gave in designing our representation before him in that kind of gruesome act is that this is how serious sin is. Sin brings death. Your sin, because God is so holy and so righteous demands death and it demands your death but this animal is doing it in your place now the bible's going to say later on that the blood of bulls the blood of goats the blood of sheep could never really cover sin because that's not a person what we need is a perfect person to represent us before god and that's where jesus comes in you see he replaces this whole ritualistic system in fact This whole system was designed not to be permanent forever. It was designed by God to point us to Jesus Christ. Every single ritual, every single action, every single sacrifice was designed by God to point us to Jesus Christ. So that when he came, we should know and see and acknowledge he is the fulfillment of all of this. In fact, he said it. I did not come to abolish the law, he says in Matthew chapter 5. He says, I came to fulfill it. That means he's our high priest. He there is claiming a priesthood that according to this old system, he didn't have a right to claim. But God made him a priest via a better way. That's where we're at. Verse 20. It was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made priests without an oath. They were just made priests by birth, right? So I got Grandpappy Ireland somewhere, right? I don't know who he is, but he's back there somewhere in the old land. I'm never going to meet him. I might see his name on an ancestry record someday, some point in time. But I've got Grandpappy Ireland. You can see in my countenance, Grandpappy Ireland, (laughs) right? In some way, shape, or form, he still is here. (laughs) By birth, I come from Grandpappy Ireland, right? I would love, I would love, I would love to have Grandpappy Chilean, right? I would love that. Or Grandpappy Laotian. Grandpappy Aborigine. I can't have any of those things though, can I? Because my birth dictates who I am descended from. Here I am here. The same is true with the priesthood. They didn't get to choose to be priests. You were from the tribe of Levi, meaning the first one who was over this tribe that you're a part of was named Levi. You're a descendant of dude. And as a descendant of dude, you went down the list and you became a priest because you were his descendant. You're the tribe of Asher? Tough. You're the tribe of Nephtali? You got the coolest name, I think, but tough. You're the tribe of Benjamin? Tough. You have to be from the tribe of Levi. 
tribe. <laughs> By birth. But Jesus, you see, he was born from a different tribe. What tribe was he born from, folks? Judah. He was from the tribe of Judah. So, tough. Judah, you're right out. You don't get to serve in the priesthood because you're not from the tribe of Levi. That's how God set it up. So if Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, how does he ever become a high priest? Well, it's with an oath. The Bible says so. But this one was made a priest with an oath, verse 21, by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This, the oath... This oath that God made makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Two things here. First of all, an oath is stronger than birth. Now, work in the funeral industry, here in the state of California anyways, we have a degrees of next of kin, right? So if the, there, there's divorce and, you know, this person, you know, isn't married anymore, then we got to go to their kids. And if they never had any kids, then we got to find parents. We can't find parents, then siblings. And so it can be kind of convoluted sometimes to try to figure out, okay, how do I figure all this out and who do I need to contact now that this person has passed? But there's one thing that trumps it all, and it's a power of attorney of health care. That's right. You, it's a document, a legal document that has been signed and has been witnessed or notarized that has power over everything. It is a binding legal contract. It is, if you will, an oath. And we understand here in the state that this, that this power of attorney, this oath that was made, is stronger than any other relationship. And here... We find that this oath by God is even stronger than birth. Listen, if it's a law, it can be annulled. Right? Any law that's out there can be annulled. But an oath cannot. An oath is sure. God said back in chapter 6 when we read that he wanted to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of his nature. And so rather than giving you an entire new law or saying, let's keep going with this law, he made an oath, it says there. And he made an oath through Jesus Christ. And now Jesus is the anchor for our soul where the law and the priesthood could never be. The second thing that this does by oath being stronger than birth is that it makes Jesus greater than Moses. Think about it. You've got these two covenants, right? The old covenant with all the laws and the stuff. And then you have this new covenant. That's what we're going to talk about for the next two weeks. This new covenant. Not next two weeks. Next two chapters. Could be months. How exciting is that? <laughs> Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant why? Because he is the one who brings the covenant in. He is the one who initiates that covenant. Moses didn't. All Moses did was get it from God and walk down the hill with some stone tablets and give the law to the people. He didn't participate in that law giving in any way except he held it in his hands for a bit. He didn't write any of the laws. He didn't make any of it up. 
He was instituted by God in order to be the one who would give the law to the people, but it was still God's law to the people. And Moses couldn't guarantee it because he was not the initiator or the one who was given the oath by God of it. Jesus was, you see. So Jesus, because he is the one being co-equal with God, being co-members of the Trinity together, he is the one when the Father swears an oath to the Son and the Son comes down and secures this new covenant is the one who can guarantee it. So we can have confidence in this new covenant that Jesus brings where we couldn't completely be confident under the old covenant. Now that's exciting. Because I don't know about you, but I know about me. And if I had to do all the rituals and the stuff and the things, man, I'm tired out just thinking about all that stuff. I'm not going to do it. I mean, I'm not even going to try to kid you and say I'm going to give it the old college try. I'm not, not even. I'm going to be hanging out in my tent, having a hamburger or something with bacon. (laughs) I am not going to be the one who's going to be jumping through all those religious hoops. I'm just not. But the point is, even the one who tries really doggone hard still can't measure up. No one could measure up. No one ever could. No one ever would. And that wasn't the point of the law. The point was to take you, show you how you're desperately in need of a savior, of a mediator, of a representative who's worthy of both God and representing you. And that points us to Jesus Christ himself. And he and he alone is the one who can do all that we need according to the law. Now verse 23. The former priests, they were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, right? So the priesthood just went on and on and on. And there was a couple of genealogies in there that if you really want to, you can go read them later on tonight for your own extra credit pleasure. And you can read about the priest who the son of the yada and the muda da yada and the da 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 yada da 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 and you, you're more power to you. But the reason there are those lists is because they could not continue because they were sinners themselves. The wages of sin is what, beloved? Death. And so if they were continually dying, what does that communicate to us about their nature? They're sinners. And being sinners, they could never accomplish what it was the law required of them to accomplish. Which is why, again, it brings us back to the need of a better covenant. Verse 24. But he holds, Jesus holds, his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. This is why the resurrection is so important. So important. You see, if, if Christ, if he had come and he had just lived a perfect life, which we all agree that he did. In fact, the Bible here in Hebrews, we read it just a little while ago, that says that he was in every way tempted, just like you and I are. All the ways you're tempted with sin, Jesus was tempted with that same sin. But yet he never gave in and committed that sin, just like we all do, all the time. 
He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So if he had come and lived a completely perfect, sinless life, had gone to the cross, and had on that cross bore the wrath of God in my place, and had stayed dead, and hadn't raised from the dead, number one, I would have no confidence that that atonement was perfect and accepted by God. Number two, I would have the same reason to question his perfect life as I do every other person who dies perfect life because they never had a perfect life. And if Jesus stayed dead, did he have a perfect life? See the dilemma? But that resurrection is proof positive that God accepted his sacrifice. The resurrection is important because when I come to you, Natasha, and I tell you, Jesus died for your sins, and the proof is he raised from the dead. That is not just throwaway gospelese, Christianese language. That is me telling Natasha that her confidence in everything that she has in life and all that she has in the life to come is bound up in Jesus' resurrection. His resurrection from the dead is her life now and her entire life to come. And he lives forever as a high priest. And that's the kind of confidence we can have in Jesus Christ as our great high priest. He continues forever because he never needed to die. His death was willingly, right? John chapter 17, no, John chapter 19, that he willingly gave up his spirit there upon the cross. So verse 25, consequently, because he continues forever, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost all who draw to God through him because since he always lives to make intercession for them. Number one, consequently, he, Jesus, alone is able to save. Not a magisterium. Not some big, huge, ritualistic system. Not some go-behind-the-curtain, secret handshake kind of stuff. None of that kind of stuff. Jesus alone, he himself, is able to save, I love this phrase, to the uttermost. <clears throat> there, there's an evangelist back in the, the teens and the 20s of the last century named Billy Sunday. Cool name, right? And he was a professional baseball player and he gained a lot of fame and notoriety because he was really good. And then he quit right in the middle of when he was really good and he went on the road to be an evangelist. But one of the things that he said all the time and kind of popularized him was his catchphrase. And he would say this, that Jesus will always be able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost. That's good stuff right there, right? From the guttermost to the uttermost. And he would go and stand on street corners there in Skid Row in Chicago and in New York and Cleveland. And he would proclaim, listen, Christ saved you just as much as those Richie bigwigs up in those sky rises over there. And people would come to the Lord in thousands from hearing this kind of message. But beloved, it's just as true today as it was when Billy Sunday preached it, as it was when Paul the Apostle preached it. God is able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost. Meaning that there is no, he, he's an equal opportunity savior. 
There's no discrimination in terms of types of sin that he'll save, in terms of personal nationality and types of uh, proclivities and emotional bents and makeups. There's no race. There's not male. There's no female. That we are all one in Christ Jesus because he is the powerful savior of all people. There is no one that is outside of the bounds of this gospel message. I could have no problem walking out these doors and telling anybody, man, Jesus died to save you from your sins. Would you believe it? Believe it. Trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior today. And that's a good message to preach because it's the only message that we have that will offer anybody the hope that they desperately need in their souls, which is salvation through Jesus Christ. Notice what it says. He's able to save to the uttermost those who what? Draw near to God through him. Faith is what brings a person to Christ. Confidence. It's, it's an acknowledgement. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. I have no hope. I need somebody to stand in my place. Like Job said, I need a mediator before God. I need someone to go before me. And Jesus is the one who's done that. That's the argument here. Hebrew believers in Rome, why in the world would you go back to your old ways, to the old law, to mystical religions, when you have Jesus, the great high priest, the only one who can and has saved you from your sins. Believe it. Trust in him. Have faith and confidence in him and him alone. And beloved, the gospel isn't just to get you into his heaven. <laughs> no, 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 no. The gospel is the very meat for our souls. It's everything we need for life and godliness. I need the gospel every single day. I preach it to myself all the time because I need that constant reminder, that constant refreshment from the Lord. Lord, I believe and trust in you and you alone. When I'm struggling in a certain way, where is my hope found? In Jesus Christ and in trusting in him. When I'm struggling with sin, where is my hope? It's in Jesus Christ and my faith in him alone. He allows me to continue in a sin longer than I want. And I pray, Lord, take, relieve this from me. And he doesn't take it away. Where's my hope and confidence found? It's in him and him alone. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And I can trust him through thick and through thin. Because he is able to save to the uttermost. And sometimes, ah, man, I feel like I'm the uttermost. Guttermost, uttermost, however you want to say it. I understand. I do. I, I, I think I do anyways. I don't want to speak to... I think I understand Paul's phrase when he says, I am the chief of sinners. And I want to say that's because I hadn't been born yet, Paul. That's why you could say it. Because I really feel like that a lot of times. The only way I get to God is I draw near through Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Why? Why can I draw near through him? Because he always lives to make intercession for us. You see, his resurrection is the very act that gives us all confidence in our life. 
But his resurrection wasn't the end either, beloved. He was resurrected to ascend so that right now we can have confidence that Jesus, because he's God, is praying for you and for me right now even. Just as every much we believe that as he was dying on the cross and he was bearing the wrath of God, that he was thinking about me because he's God, because he was actually bearing the wrath that I deserve for my sins and you deserve for your sins personally. He is every bit as much familiar with you in that moment as he is right now as he's praying and interceding for you. There's a passage in Zechariah chapter 3 where the high priest Zechariah He comes to offer sacrifices before the Lord. And if you know the story, you know that they're supposed to be the high priest have the perfect whitest clean linen tunics and the whitest clean linen turbans on their head. But his was dirty. He had been working out there and he'd gotten ash and soot all over it. And yet he was coming before the throne of God to offer sacrifices. And it says that Satan himself arrived and stood before him and said, How dare you come before the Lord, you and your filthy rags? Who do you think you are to be offering sacrifices to God when you look the way you do? That'd be kind of intimidating to me, I'll be honest. God shows up. And in Pat paraphrase, he says, shut your mouth, Satan. Shut up. He is a brand that I have plucked from the fire. He is one that I have saved. He is one that I have called to myself. And if I have done that, I have made him holy, no matter what his outward appearance looks like to you. No matter what you think of him, he is one that I have called, I have chosen, I have cleansed, I have made righteous in my sight. He is mine. And beloved, when we read a passage like this that Jesus intercedes for us, That's the kind of stuff Jesus is doing. He isn't praying for traveling mercies. He isn't praying that your hangnail don't hurt too much. He's praying that Satan would not overwhelm you and shipwreck your souls. He is praying and interceding and his prayer and his intercession, beloved, will always be effectual. Everything Jesus prays for you will come to pass. Believe it. Because you are his, and his glory and honor is at stake. That's why Paul can so confidently say that there's nothing, not life, nor death, nor heaven, nor hell, nor angels, nor principalities, nor anything in this life, nor the thing to come, that will ever separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because he is interceding for me. Beloved, our high priest is perfect. And he advocates right now by praying for us and keeping us with his sure and steady hand. He's the one who keeps us. Beloved, let's be honest. I mean, hey, if salvation were up to you, you guys are squirrely, I know. I mean, I am too. We wouldn't be saved, right? If it was up to you at all to stay saved, who's going to do that? But he is the one who's regularly, routinely, purposely making intercession for us. That word intercession literally means to plead our case, plead our cause, defend us. 
He's our public defender in the court, and God is the one who's on the throne, his father, who's there to judge us. And Jesus stands up, and anytime Satan, our accusing attorney, says, I accuse him in this area, Jesus says, I bore that. And the father says, acquitted. Over and over and over again. And Jesus always stands for us. Why? Verse 26 is the key, beloved. For indeed it was fitting that we should have a high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from the world, and exalted into the heavens. Why? Why do we need a high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separate from the world, and exalted? Because you are not. You are not holy. You are not innocent. You are not unstained. You are not separate from sinners. You have not been exalted into the heavens. That's why we need. That's why it is indeed fitting for Jesus to do this. Jesus did this. And he is all of this for us. Do you see that? Do you see now how important it is for us to have representation? Adam represented us and drug us into sin. Christ represents us now so that when the Father looks down from his heaven and sees each and every one of you who have been saved from the uttermost, he sees you now as holy, innocent, unstained, separate from the world and exalted into his heaven. Because he sees you through Jesus. He sees you in Jesus. You have been united to Christ, beloved. And there's nothing that can separate you from that kind of love and that kind of grace. You see, Jesus has no need, verse 27, like all of those other high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He already did this once and for all when he offered up himself. You see, the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. There is nothing at that point that could render it invalid. Nothing. There's nothing at this point that could render what Jesus did invalid anymore. To close, I want to... Look at Mark. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen or you can turn there if you want. Mark 10. And there at the end of Mark 10. Well, it's actually kind of towards the end. Verse 42 in the middle, he says to his disciples, he says, listen up, buddies. Listen, disciples. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over Their great ones exercise authority. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even Jesus, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Beloved, Jesus gave his own life for each and every one of us. We would just need to believe in him, drawing near to him. And when we do that, when we draw near to him, God sees us as if we live Jesus's holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners and exalted life. And beloved, that is good and glorious news. Amen. Father God, we love you and we thank you for the amazing grace that you've given to us. 
We ask, Lord, that the gospel truth that we have from you would be a very means for our soul to find satisfaction continually renewed in you, Lord. Our hope is in you. Our life is in you. We love you, Jesus. That's all there is to it. Thank you for loving us before we loved you. In your name we pray. Amen.